In our message series, Basic Training, we're talking about the basic disciplines that every believer, as a soldier in God's army, needs to master. And whether we recognize it or not, believers in our world today are at, in an increasingly dangerous battle. Persecution and even martyrdom of Christians are growing in many different ways. Uh, perhaps you've heard of the shooting in the Oregon College just this last week. And uh, the reports were that the gunman asked the uh, people that were there whether they were Christians or not. And if they were Christians, he executed them. Uh, persecution of people who acknowledged being a Christian uh, were martyred. And so this is increasing in our world, even in America and across the earth. And yet we need to keep our focus on who our real enemy is. It's not other people. We are in a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6.12, and I'd encourage you to take out the white page in the middle of your bulletin. It has the scriptures written out in the outline. You can take some notes there on the back are study questions uh, that you can study on your own. They're also uh, gone over in some of the life groups as well to dig in a little more deeply. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so we tend to think that our struggle is against people. It's against flesh and blood. It's against evil people who want to do bad things. But our struggle, the Bible tells us, is not against people. It's against the evil spiritual forces of Satan and his, um, his armies, spiritual armies of evil spirits. Satan has taken people captive to do his will. That's why people do bad things. Uh, Satan has taken them captive, and they are marching to his tune. They are doing the things that he tells them to do. And our task is to rescue people who are slaves to the kingdom of darkness. Everyone who is not a believer is, the Bible says, a slave to the kingdom of darkness. And our task as believers is to rescue them from the kingdom of darkness and bring them into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so today, that's what we're going to be talking about. Our topic today is reaching out. Reaching out to those who are not yet believers and introducing them to Jesus Christ. Now, oftentimes we think, well, you know, who, who reaches out to unbelievers? Surely it's the evangelists. It's the pastors. That's their job. You know, I'm just, I'm just a normal Joe and Jane, and I just do my thing. I go to work and... Surely it's up to these other people, but the Bible teaches us that reaching out to unbelievers is the responsibility of every believer. God has put you in specific situations, in relationships with certain people, so that you can reach out to them. You know people I don't know. You're in relationship to all kinds of people that I have never spoken to. God has put you in unique relationships so that you can be his witness exactly where he has planted you. And Jesus gave us the Great Commission, and the Great Commission in Matthew 28 is for every believer. It says, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That commission, that command is for each and every believer. I'd like us to watch a short video clip based on this scripture, which is called the Commission. Now, as we look at this verse, these verses in the Great Commission, we see that there are two important aspects highlighted in that little clip as well. Two aspects or phases of reaching out. The first is being a witness. That's where we simply tell people what God has done in our own lives. It's not difficult. You don't have to know the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. You simply are a witness of what God has done. If you're a believer, then God has saved you, and you have a witness, a story to tell. And so being a witness is being used by God to tell other people about Jesus and to help them become believers in Jesus Christ. But the Great Commission also has a second phase that's no less important than being a witness. The second phase is to teach believers to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. You don't just become a, a believer and then say, that's it. That's the end of the story. No, that's the beginning. Uh, we need to learn what Jesus has commanded and follow it and obey it. And that is the whole process of discipleship. And so when a believer is taught to obey all of Jesus' commands, what are they going to do? Well, first and foremost, they're going to obey his commands in Matthew 28. And they, the new believers, will become witnesses as well. And they'll tell others and teach others, and the cycle will continue. And that's how God wants his church to grow. If each and every person is a witness to the truth of God's word and discipling others, then this cycle of spiritual reproduction will cause many new believers to come into the kingdom. Now today we're going to focus on this first phase, the phase of being a witness, of reaching out to others, telling others the good news about Jesus. But I'd like to ask you to pray that in the near future we'll be able to, to implement a more comprehensive discipleship program here at Life Church, so that we can all grow in our understanding and obedience to God's commands. Now, the book of Acts shows how the early church followed Jesus' command, his great commission to go and make disciples. Jesus himself promised in Acts 1.8, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so in the book of Acts, we see that the followers of Jesus, some were apostles, some were not apostles, just people that were saved, all kinds of people, they all were witnesses for Jesus, and the church grew at a phenomenal rate. Today we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 17, where Paul is being a witness. And I believe that we can learn some things from him. In the very first section of the chapter, we don't have time for the whole chapter this morning, but in the very first section of the chapter, Paul goes to the city of Thessalonica. He is a witness there. He talks about Jesus to both Jews and Gentiles. And the result is, the response is that some Jews believe and a large number of Gentiles become believers. In the second section of Acts chapter 17, Paul moves on from Thessalonica to the city of Berea. And the Bereans are a little bit different than the people in Thessalonica. The Bereans are spiritually hungry. They look, uh, many are Jews, and they look at the Old Testament to see if what Paul is teaching is in keeping with what God's Word says. 
And the result is that many Jews believe and a number of Gentiles. And so we see that different groups of people have varying responses to the gospel. In the city of Thessalonica, majority of Gentiles believe. In the city of Berea, the majority of Jews believed. Paul was the same person. He was an excellent witness. But because the people were different, there were different responses. Today we're going to look at an example of Paul witnessing for Jesus in the city of Athens, the third people group that he witnesses to in Acts chapter 17. And so the first principle we learn is that we need to, to engage our world. Persecution was rampant in the first century, just as it is today. Believers were being martyred for their faith. The lives of others were being threatened. And when persecution is around, what is the temptation? Temptation is to be quiet, to be secret agent Christians. Only Jesus and I know that'll keep me out of trouble. Play it safe. Keep one's beliefs to oneself. Don't talk to anybody else unless you're sure they're a believer. Now, is the church and the word of God going to spread very rapidly if that's how Christians act? That's not going to spread at all, is it? If you never talk to an unbeliever, if you keep everything quiet, it's not going to grow. That's not what Jesus commands us to do. He, didn't, he told us not to let our lights be hid. We let our light shine for everyone to see. It's not uh, that Paul did not fall for that temptation, nor did the early church. They chose to engage their world for Jesus Christ. The first step was, is to have compassion on unbelievers, to really care about people who do not yet know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Our story begins in verse 16 of Acts chapter 17. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. And so as Paul went through the city of Athens, he looked around and there was an idol on every street corner. They were all over the place. And this idolatry greatly distressed him. Now, Paul didn't worship idols. Why would this idolatry distress him? Well, it distressed him because what is idolatry? Idolatry is the worship of anything that is created. Now, there are only two classes of things or beings in the world, those that are created and those that are uncreated. And there's only one person in the uncreated class, and that's God himself. And we are to worship God, the creator. And when we worship anything that's created, whatever it may be, the sun, the moon, people, ourselves, money, prestige, power, little idols, spirits, saints, whatever we may choose to worship, that is called idolatry. And those who worship anything other than the true God through Jesus Christ are not believers. They are putting their faith, they're putting their trust in something else, and they are doomed to hell. And this distressed Paul to see all these people worshiping these idols in the city of Athens. He was distressed because he knew these people were headed for hell. They didn't know the truth about Jesus Christ. They were not saved, and he wanted them to be saved. And so what did he do? Well, he was bold to talk about Jesus. And as he was greatly distressed, verse 17 says, So... He didn't just cry in his corner. 
He did something about it. He reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. And so Paul, first of all, began to talk with people who had some spiritual interest. He went to the synagogue in the city of Athens, and there were some Jews and some God-fearing Greeks that worshipped God there. And these people would have some respect for the Old Testament. And so he began to talk to them about Jesus Christ. He told them about the life of Jesus. He told them about the death of Jesus. And most importantly, he told them about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that Jesus was alive today. Now, some philosophers, people who weren't in the synagogue, they were outside in the city of Athens, they didn't believe God's word at all, and they began to dispute. They began to argue with, <clears throat> they began to argue with Paul. Why? As we'll see later, because Paul was talking about Jesus being risen from the dead. Does any intelligent person believe that the dead are raised? The philosopher would say, no way. You know, you are really off your rocker. We know that dead people don't come back to life. And so they were arguing, disputing with Paul. And so Paul was engaging his world, both in the synagogue, in the marketplace, talking to the philosophers every which way he could with the truth of Jesus Christ. Those who had some belief in the Old Testament scriptures and those who had no belief uh, at all. And so witnessing, being a witness for Jesus Christ begins with having compassion on those who aren't believers. If you don't care about people who are not yet believers, you're not going to do anything about it. And so those who follow other religions, whether Jew, some people say, well, the Jews are okay, aren't they? They believe in God. Well, Paul didn't think so. They didn't accept the Messiah. And so they weren't worshiping the true God. The Jew, the Muslim, the atheist, the Hindu, the Buddhist, the Mormon, the Jehovah's Witness, all these people who are very religious are not believers because they don't worship the same God, the God who, is, uh, the God who sent Jesus Christ to be the way, the truth, and the life. And so the first step to being a bold witness, as Paul was, is to pray for others. Have a compassion for them, the people you know in your life. We'll talk more about this in a minute that aren't believers, pray for them and for yourself. Ask God to help you to know what and when to speak. Now, as we're going to see today, Paul's approach with the Jews was different than his approach with these philosophers in Athens. And so our approach to witnessing is going to be different with different kinds of people. People are at different places in their lives. People are at different places in their understanding of God's word. And so ask God to help you Speak to people in different ways. To share things that God is doing in your life. Things that God is doing in your church family. Begin to relate current events to matters of spiritual significance. You know, God is making it easy. I mean, you talk to somebody about this organ shooting. Why do you think, you know, the gunman was singling out Christians? and see where that conversation goes. Now, why was that? Because why are Christians singled out for persecution and martyrdom across the world? Is Satan hates Christians. He doesn't want them letting their light shine, and so he wants to kill them. 
Satan is a murderer, and so the people who follow in his footsteps. People have needs around you, your friends, your workers, your, your neighbors. When they share a need, when they grumble, when they complain, you ever, has anybody ever come to you and grumble about a problem or difficulty in, your, in their lives? Ever happen? So how should we respond? Oh, I'm so sorry. Or, you know, I've got problems too. Or how should we respond? We should offer to pray for them. Oh, you have a problem? Let me pray. Let me ask God to help you and your difficulty. An easy way to witness, and God loves to answer those prayers. There are a myriad of ways that we can move our conversations with others to spiritual matters and not be needlessly offensive, okay? <laughs> and not get fired, okay? There are ways to do it. There are ways to do it. You need to be careful. You need to be wise. But our ultimate goal is to tell the truth about Jesus to introduce people to Jesus Christ. So now Paul's conversations, if we read the entire chapter, and I'd encourage you to do it, they led to the philosophers having questions. They wanted to hear more. This was kind of strange teaching about being raised from the dead and the things that Paul was talking about. And so they arranged a meeting, and Paul decided to take advantage of that opportunity. And so when we talk to people, when we witness to people, begin to talk about spiritual things, we need to look for common ground. That's what Paul did. Let's look in verse 22. Paul now is at this meeting with the philosophers. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus, Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. And so Paul was very observant. First of all, he observed that the city of Athens was full of idols. And then he looked a little more closely. He noticed there were a number of altars dedicated to different gods that the Athenians worshipped. And here was an altar that said, to an unknown God. They had so many gods, but they were afraid they missed one. So just in case they hadn't covered all the gods, here was the unknown God, the God we're not sure about. We're going to worship him too. And Paul says, you know, you're very religious. You worship a lot of, quote, gods with a little g. I'm going to tell you about this unknown God, this God who is different than all the other gods, the true God who's revealed himself in Jesus Christ. And so Paul found some common ground in the Athenian experience. He didn't start out by, hey, you idol worshipers, you know, repent. That wasn't his first word. He said, I see you're very religious. You know, you're seeking after something. There's something good about that. You're seeking after something. It's the wrong thing, but I'm going to tell you about the right thing you should be seeking after. I'm going to tell you, about who this unknown God you don't know about is. And so he used that common ground as a launching pad to teach the truth of God's word. Now, the first thing he did with the Athenians is quite different than how he talked to the Jews. With the Athenians, he began to talk about God as creator. Verse 24, he says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And so with these philosophers, Paul does not begin with the Old Testament scriptures. They didn't respect God's word. He begins by speaking about God who created the world and everything in it. 
Not only is God the creator of everything, but he's the ruler, he's the Lord of the entire universe, of all of heaven and all of earth. He's infinite, he's all-powerful, he's not like the things that he has created. He doesn't live in any kind of man-made structures like the temples they had. And they thought the deities lived in these temples that had altars to worship. The Bible teaches us that man can understand many of the attributes about God by simply looking at creation. And today, we have opportunity to see the wonders of God's creation in a way that no generation has ever seen before. We have telescopes and satellites that look into the heavens and can see the wonders of the galaxies and the vastness of the universe in a way that earlier generations had no comprehension of. They just saw stars as little specks of light and they were awed by it. We, we can see the dust clouds of nebulae light years away. We can peer into microscopes and see the amazing complexity of the world that God has created. We can look into the very building blocks of life itself, the DNA, and see the intricately created patterns and designs that God has made. And those things should lead us to believe there is an intelligent designer. There is a creator. How could these things just happen randomly? That's impossible. And so talking about God as a creator is a way to reach out to people, people who may not even have respect for God's word. Then Paul moves on to talk about God's purpose. He says, From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that, the men, so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. And so God created all the nations of the world, all the different nations of people from one man. His name was Adam. And so there are not different races denoted by different skin color. There is one race of human beings. We're all human beings descended from the first man that God created, Adam. And God determined where people should live in history and where they should live. It's not an accident that you are living in the 21st century in St. Louis, Missouri. It's all in God's plan. Why does God determine where people, uh, when people live in history and where they live? It says right here in this verse, he does this so that men will have the best opportunity to seek after and find him. He puts you in a place where you have the best opportunity to find God. And that is the most important aspect in anybody's life. Anybody on the face of this planet, any person to find their creator and have an eternal relationship with him. If you find God through Jesus Christ and begin a relationship with him, your life has met its primary purpose because you're going to spend eternity with God. If you miss that opportunity that God affords to every single person on the face of this earth, you're going to, you've missed the most important aspect of life that there is. 
And so everyone in their heart of hearts, everyone in their heart of hearts longs to have that God-given purpose fulfilled. They long to understand why they're on this planet. They long to understand that God created them and God has a purpose for their life. And so Paul uses that common ground to prepare to share the gospel. And so in today's world, many people no longer understand the Bible. In In the past, an educated person would study the Bible as the most important book on the planet and understand what was written there. And today, most, if most institutes of higher learning in most schools don't study the Bible at all. They study anything. It's the Koran. I mean, to be honest, that's the truth. And people are totally ignorant of what the Bible says. Most of the things you see in the common media about the Bible says this and that are just completely wrong. People haven't even studied to understand what it says. People don't respect the Bible. And so, Talking to people about creation is a good way to engage in spiritual discussion. Discuss questions about where do you think this world and the universe came from? That'll lead some interesting discussions because there is no answer outside of God. Where did life and human beings come from? Why is mankind different than the animals? What is the purpose of a person's life? What is the purpose of your life? Now, most people have never thought about those questions. Maybe they don't want to think about it, but we want them to start thinking more deeply about life than they've ever thought before. And so raising questions, raising new thoughts that a person's never thought about before are good strategies of the Holy Spirit to prepare someone's heart to hear more about Jesus. And we need to understand that the people we know that are not yet believers, they're at different places in, they're at different places along a continuum of spiritual receptiveness. I mean, some are very open to talking, some are kind of closed, and some are very closed, and some are ready to become believers. They're at different things, and you want to move people along with God's help but you need to discern where they're at in order to know what to say. And ultimately, though, you need to share the good news about Jesus. You've got to talk about Jesus Christ. You simply can't talk about a generic God and stop there. Most people still believe in a generic God. Yes, I know there are some atheists, but most people believe in a generic God. Many believe in a creator God. But the Bible teaches that The God we must believe in is the God who sent Jesus Christ as his son, as the only way to have a relationship with him. And so the God that we worship, the God that the Bible teaches, is not the same God that's worshipped in other religions. Allah is not the same as God. You read the Koran, completely different. And so we do not all worship the same God. And for that to happen, for people to believe in Jesus Christ, to have a relationship with the one true creator God, people must repent of their sin. Verse 30, Paul says, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. And so before Jesus came, God primarily dealt with Israel. 
the people of God. He didn't primarily deal with the Gentile nations and their idolatry. But now that Jesus has come, God commands people everywhere across the whole world, both Jew and Gentile. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. So if you're not a Jew here this morning, you're a Gentile. There's only two classes here. He commands everyone to repent of their sin, to turn away from their sin. That's the first step to be saved and to have a relationship with God. You can't be saved by simply wishing, like, I'd like to go to heaven. That sounds better than the other place. Of course, everybody wants to go to heaven. 99% of people in America think they're going to heaven because it just sounds a lot better than hell. I mean, who would want, you know, nobody would want to go there. But that's not how you're saved, simply wishing that you go to heaven, hoping you go to heaven. You need to repent. To repent is to turn away from your sin, to be convinced you've sinned, admit you've sinned, to turn away from it, to stop doing it and turn in faith to Jesus Christ. And so repentance is a act or a activity that is not talked about much today. It's kind of, you know, isn't that a bit offensive? Say, you have to repent? That means I'm saying you're wrong. Well, it's not I'm saying you're wrong. It's God saying you're wrong. That's what you have to repent of. That's what sin is, doing wrong things. Things that hurt yourself. Things that hurt other people. Things that God as creator knows are not in keeping with the way he created you. And so to repent is to turn away from your sin and turn towards God by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. So after we repent, we must believe in the risen Lord Jesus. Verse 31. For he, speaking of God, Paul, Paul says, and remember he's speaking to these philosophers in this meeting. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. And so Paul then begins to talk about Jesus Christ. He speaks first of the day of judgment. He said, judgment day is coming. There's a day when God is going to judge the entire world and every person living in it. And who is going to be the judge? It's going to be Jesus Christ. And the proof that Jesus is going to be the judge, the proof that Jesus was the very Son of God, not simply a human being, is that God raised him from the dead. And so as we see the teaching in the early church in the book of Acts, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not an optional belief. It's like, you know, I want to be a Christian, but you know, this raising from the dead, it just really doesn't make sense to me. So, I, I, you know, Jesus loved everybody. He said some good things and... Uh, you know, I, I kind of go along with that. So does that make me a Christian? It's like, no. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is not an optional belief. To become a believer, you must believe in the risen Lord who is alive today. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, if Jesus is not alive today in heaven, then Christianity is a, a sham. It's a falsehood. It means absolutely nothing. And so we must always talk of Jesus as alive, of risen from the, he's risen from the dead. He's not simply a historical figure who lived and died and is no more. He's alive today. And so the resurrection is the, is the linchpin. It's the, 
It's the truth on which all of Christianity hangs. When the good news or gospel of Jesus is presented, we can expect three different responses. Verse 32, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them were, was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. So response number one, some of the people sneered at what Paul said. What were they sneering at? I believe they were sneering at Paul talking about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Uh, these people that sneered had minds that simply could not accept the supernatural. They could only believe in what they could see with their eyes, what could be reproduced in science. And they rejected the gospel. In fact, often those who reject the gospel are the ones who tend to be persecutors, the ones who tend to persecute the witnesses. In this case, they simply sneered at Paul. I believe they were convinced they were much smarter than Paul because they understood that dead people don't come back to life. Any intelligent person, you know, in their minds understood that fact, and he was just loony. He didn't understand it, so they sneered at him. The second response was from those who wanted to listen to Paul speak more about spiritual matters. They were intrigued with what he was saying. They didn't totally understand it, but they, they didn't totally tune him out either. They wanted to hear more at a future time. They weren't rejecting the gospel. They were considering what he had to say. They were thinking about it, and they were open to further discussion. The third response was that a few men and women became believers. As a result of Paul's witness, they decided to become a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, compared to the cities of Thessalonica and Berea, how many people were saved at Athens? It doesn't seem like a whole lot, from what we can tell. Was Paul's witness defective? No, I don't believe so. But the people of Athens were less prepared to hear the gospel. They were steeped in idolatry. The city was in, uh, steeped in sin. And they had further to go to get their minds changed to be open to receiving the gospel. And so regardless of the response, we must share the good news of Jesus to those around us in the world. And so as we share the gospel, we're going to encounter these same three responses. Some people are going to sneer at us. Some people are going to like... Turn us, tune us out. Some people might not want to be your friend anymore. They might unfriend you on Facebook. Horror of horrors. Right? Persecution. Others will want to hear more. They'll want to talk more about it. And others will accept Jesus Christ. They'll come to church and become part of the family of God. So who in your circle of relationships needs to hear the good news of Jesus? That's an important question. Perhaps you know some are very antagonistic towards the gospel. You know they're not believers. You know they need to hear, and you're going to have to be careful, but you want to share with them too. Just because people are antagonistic, just because they sneer at you the first time, doesn't mean 
they can never be saved. God saved some pretty bad people, and Saul was one of those. He was killing Christians. God can do some amazing things. There are probably a few friends you know that they're believers in Jesus. They talk about him. They are engaged in a Bible-believing church, and you know they're believers. And then there's probably the majority of your relationships with coworkers, neighbors, friends. From my experience, you're not really sure whether they're saved or not. You don't really know. And why don't you know? Because you've never really engaged them in any deep enough spiritual discussions to find out. Our tendency is to figure, well, if they believe in God, and they say they go to church, at least Christmas and Easter, they must be okay. Why rock the boat? Why try to figure out, why try to dig in and see if they're saved or not? You know, is that my business? Well, if God has placed them in your life, if they're in your circle of relationships, if they're in your circle of influence, then it is your business. It is your business to discover if they're saved or not. And if they're not saved, to begin to share the gospel with them. Begin to be a witness with them. If you're not sure they're saved or not, most likely they're not. Because the fruit of being a believer should be evident to everyone around. And so if you're not sure, most likely they're not. Most people believe in God. Many people attend church occasionally. And most people believe they're going to go to heaven because they're basically a good person. We have a book over there on our table. Is how good is good enough? And the answer is being good is not enough. It's only through Jesus that you're saved. And so if people believe in God, they believe they're good enough, they're better than the person they read about in the newspaper, they're not saved. You don't get to heaven that way. That's not the gospel. They're headed for an eternity in hell if you or somebody else doesn't tell them about the only way to have a relationship with God, which is through faith in Jesus Christ. And God wants you to share the good news of Jesus with them. And so the great commission of Jesus Christ is for every believer. It's to reach out to those around us with the good news of Jesus. Now, one of the very easiest ways to share the gospel, certainly not the only way, not the only way that God commands us to, but one of the easiest ways is to simply invite a friend to church. Someone won't be ready to come to church, and then you've got to work on them. Or they're going to a church that is not a Bible-believing church. But they're going to hear the gospel. And you can prepare them for the invitation by telling them what God is doing in your life through being a part of Life Church. Ask God to give you the courage to reach out. It takes some boldness. It takes some courage. There's opposition. But you can do it. One last thought. If you're a believer here this morning, somebody, somewhere, somehow reached out to you. And you must do the same. This morning, if you're not sure that you're a believer, after we've gone through, here's how to become a believer. We're going to pray a simple prayer. And if you truly mean this prayer, 
your eternal destiny will be changed. First thing is you admit that you've sinned. It's really what repentance is all about, admitting that you've sinned. Secondly, turning away from that sin and believing that Jesus died to forgive your sins and that he rose from the dead and he lives today and putting your trust, your commitment in following him as your Lord. So let's bow our heads right now. And I encourage you to pray along with me if you're not sure that you're a believer here this morning. Perhaps you've believed in God and you've attended church, but you've never made that personal decision to, to repent and put your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I'd encourage you to follow along in your minds as we pray together. Say something like this, Father, today I admit that I've sinned. I've done wrong things. Things that I knew were wrong, and I did them anyhow. Today, I repent of that sin. I turn away from it. I don't want to do it anymore. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, took my sins upon himself, and rose from the dead. Please forgive me. I commit myself to serving Jesus, the risen Lord, as my Lord and Savior. For those of us who are believers, let's pray that God would help us to reach out as well. Father, we thank you that the authority of Jesus Christ, all authority in heaven and earth, is behind me, behind every believer, as we reach out to those around us with the good news of Jesus Christ. Forgive us for not being the witnesses that you've called us to be. Forgive us for being more concerned about ourselves, more concerned about our feelings, what people might think of us, than about having compassion on those who don't yet know you. Forgive us for being ashamed or for being shy or help us to have the courage and the boldness to speak out. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we can speak the truth of God's word in a way that penetrates the hearts of people who do not yet know you. Work in the hearts of those in our circle of influence, the people that we know, so they would be receptive as we speak to them. Give us opportunities to share the good news about Jesus, and we thank you for the blessing that's going to come as we talk about Jesus to those we witness to and to ourselves. God, we pray that this church, that Life Church, would grow individually and collectively as we seek to reach out to those across the St. Louis area. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.